processing. And there we are. Very live. Great. Awesome. Hey. Uh, hi, I'm Charlie. Here uh, is Alex. So excited, Alex, to see you here. We were uh, chatting it up a little bit beforehand about, you know, just a bunch of things. And I'm so glad that we were able to spend some time. I think we were talking back and forth for a couple of weeks trying to schedule just it, you're yeah. a busy girl. I'm a busy boy trying to get us and themselves in the same place. But some of the people might know a lot about me, but I would love if they get to know a little bit more about you. If you don't mind just kind of letting people know, you know, about you, where you're coming from, what it is that you're doing. This awesome, you know, no best practices thing you got going on in this newsletter that uh, everybody should be subscribing to. And I'll make sure to link it in the description. Yeah. So, um, hey, everyone. My name is Alex. Um, I, so I have a 10 plus year career in e-commerce. I've worked in roles uh, from operations to performance marketing at a variety of brands from bootstrapped indie brands to brands owned by private equity firms, all the way up to uh, publicly traded like global brands. And in that time, I've learned a lot about marketing and a lot about what works and what doesn't. And so that kind of inspired me to get a newsletter and a blog started. It's called No Best Practices. And it's really about helping marketers, but also brand owners and anyone else who is uh, tangentially interested in the DTC world, like helping that crew just understand um, how to do marketing effectively in a way that, that drives the bottom line for the business. I love that doing effectively. And you said something great. They're driving the bottom line. I think so many people share fun ideas of what makes them look good, but doesn't necessarily drive the bottom line at all. Uh, you know, people bragging about like Google reports when it's just, well, okay, cool. What happens? You're not branding your own terms or what happens to your acquisition when you're not hitting your own customer base and all of these things. I found that the no best practices newsletter has been awesome. I, I, you know, we've had a couple people with newsletters on here. Uh, Cody Plofker, who, you know, uh, from, from the internet, uh, his newsletter is great. I, I, there's a few of them that I feel like are mandatory reading for everybody. And I got to hand it to you. I tried to do a newsletter and I could, I didn't have the self-control. I just couldn't do it. I I'm terribly impressed that you can get that done. I, uh, I think I put out so much stuff all the time. I couldn't segment it out. And I just gave up. So mazel tov to you. I can't imagine how much uh, stress goes into putting all of that stuff together, especially when it's just so good every single time. How are you putting half of that stuff together? I'm so curious. Thanks. Uh, that's I, That means a lot to hear. Um, I think I, I have to be honest. I, I don't fully know because I have this body of knowledge and it seems like even there, there are some weeks where I know what I'm going to write about, like two weeks in advance or more. There are some weeks where I'm, I'm writing it, you know, two days before the deadline and I, I stick to it. It's like that every two week cadence. Um, and things just emerge sometimes from Twitter. It's sometimes it's, it's a mix of things that I've experienced in the past things that I'm working on now and just like different conversation threads that, that come up um, usually on Twitter. No, I, 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 it's funny you say that because that totally makes sense now. Like I recognize so many of these things sometimes from things that where I've gotten in it with people or where you've done stuff to like acquiring better customers to increase LTV and like the loyalty program stuff and like 
why do businesses plateau with 20 million? Like that was probably one of my favorite recent ones. Cause like, I feel so many people have the same struggles of like, eventually they can't work harder, right? They can't get better and better. And I feel like there's a big lesson between folks like you and me that have been doing this for a decade that have seen people succeed and see people fail and see people leverage the wrong things to try to get themselves to a certain place. But you know, yeah. I, I really love that kind of thing. And one of the things I like so much is too, you're covering so many different bases. Like, that's awesome. Like, I don't even know personally, like what it is that you're like the best person at. I just know maybe it is just the person assembling so much information from a great experience, you know, like I, I, I find that it, that in and of itself is such a tremendous skill set that I, I wish I had, you know, I, I got to say. Thanks. I mean, I've done all of it. Like I would say that 90% of what I've, I've written about, I have like done it hands on in a prior role. Um, so, so what I like is thinking about like, what are the themes or like the strategic principles that tie everything together? Because so often I've been in situations where, you know, email is kind of operating in a silo and paid social or paid media is operating in a silo and merchandising is in its own silo. And everyone's kind of like optimizing towards their own KPIs and not, not really communicating or, or, you know, things are going off in multiple different directions. So I like to think like what, what ties it all together. I, I, I love that. And I think that's one of the most important skills, right? I think so many people are good at their one little niche, but the, the thing that separates the folks who are executionally good. I like to think of them as the, the, what separates a line cook from a chef is the awareness of the entire ecosystem, right? Like why does your email look good at the same time that your paid social does? Why does your Google drop especially when you stop your social spend? Why does all of these things that are tied together is inner network of everything. And mm -hmm. I love how much, uh, like you really focus in on putting all that stuff together. And when you say that you've done all of the things, um, that makes a lot of sense. And it really shows. Cause like, I too have done all of the things. Like I was an organic social person and then a paid social person, did the search, did the email, did the SEO and CRO and all of that stuff. And I think without failing at scale, like tremendously for years and years and years at all of that stuff, I wouldn't know exactly how to try to help people move forward. Um, so I, I love that you put that stuff together. What do you, what would you say is like the thing that you're, you, you love the most about this stuff? Um, like about the work or about writing the newsletter? I would say about the work. I mean, the newsletter is great. And, and obviously your, your passion for the th stuff shows through, but about the work, I mean, I always like to know people's why. Like, for instance, my why. I want to see people be more successful and I want them to be less stressed out because I've seen so many people fail. And what people do when they fail is so similar. And what people do when they're successful is so similar. If I can just help break through some of that stuff to help people out, that's tremendous. And I've also seen people charge a lot of money for the stuff that I've given away for free and they don't, they do a bad job. And I just, every day my inbox is full of people that like want to succeed and like offering that is amazing. So, I mean, that's my why slightly altruistic, yeah. but also like my bottom line's covered and I'd love to know what yours is. Okay. I, I understand. I think I have two. 
The first is that um, I, so I've been in the e-commerce space since probably like early 2010s. And I think the space, like the macro environment has changed so, so much. And it's changed faster than I think a lot of, a lot of organizations or a lot of people's mindsets have changed. And I think there's like, we're basically, we were coming from a place where a lot of retail principles were based on the mall and based Mm -hmm. on this idea that there's always going to be traffic coming in, whether you're a store in the mall or whether you're a brand advertising on Facebook, like that's not something that as a marketer, you necessarily need to need to even care about. And that's changed so dramatically. And it, it means that you have to like think strategically from a different point of view. <clears throat> Excuse me. You need to be prepared to generate your own traffic and like really understand what's going on with your customer base. So helping people unlock that, I think, is one of my whys for sure. The other one is that the lack of understanding there often leads to kind of like team or organizational dysfunction. And preventing that and like helping to to build working environments where people are not in like emergency mode 24 seven and have like feel confident that they can shape the future of their business. Like that is another thing that I am really passionate about. I love it. Yeah, that 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 confidence. That is such a big piece. I can't tell you how many people like I, I have calls with folks all the time. And like the one thing that they all want is the confidence like. People are like, this one woman, Denise, is just like, I used to, like, every time I pushed publish on a Facebook ad, I, I, got, I got, like, sick. I was just like, I couldn't handle it. I was just, I sat and, like, I had to run away and come back in a couple of days. I just literally couldn't handle it. And, and like, that, getting over that stuff is, I think, so helpful for individuals. And I, I love what you said there, too. Like, when we started out, like, what it was like, you know, was, and I it was very much the same way. It was these retail principles being pushed forward. Like I remember doing like a subway paid social and it was literally the print ad from the newspaper on right hand rail. And we spent like 400 grand in a month, just like smashing that thing, which I guess made sense. And and more than that too, I remember I did the launch for season two of Schitt's Creek. Wow. And the ad was the first episode of the season. A 24 minute long video with no copy, no primary text. And then the headline was just Shit's Creek season two, starting Friday at 8 PM or whatever on pop TV. And I think it was Wednesday, but yeah, that was just it. And there was a 24 minute, like cold open season two for Shit's Creek. And like, I feel like that's where we came from. And I don't know about you, how you feel about this, but I feel like a lot of stuff is still very residual from the email-driven, retail-driven mindset. Like, I I don't know what you think about that, but like, um, I I still see that in in everywhere where we come from with so many strategies we were coming up with, the customer journey and the multi-touch and the overcoming objections and the pitches and the strategies and the targeting and all of this stuff Mm -hmm. feels like 20 you know, 11 Google or like 2005 email, like at best. And it just doesn't make sense in the modern days. I don't know what you think about that, but when you said about what it was like and where we started, uh, I totally agree with you. What what do you, what do you think about like how that has shifted to now? 
Yeah, I, I agree with you. And I think what's tricky is I, a lot of our understanding of, of digital marketing has been shaped by people who, who offer, you know, free tools and free training. And that, that primarily has been Google, like, especially for the, the first chunk of the 2010s. And, and that's really, it, it's been good and bad. Like it's flattened our understanding of what's going on when we run a marketing campaign, but it also made it incredibly accessible for a lot of people and empowered a lot of people to start their own businesses. So like there's a trade-off. And um, when, you're, when you're moving away from that kind of more simplified way of thinking about things like last click analytics, like we ran a campaign and we spent a dollar and we got $5 back. You, what's tricky is like, it makes marketing harder when you shift from last click to doing like holdout testing, you start to realize that a lot of what you thought was really impactful actually isn't. And then you're like, Oh gosh, am I a bad marketer? Like, how do I move forward from here? So it's, it's hard to convince people, you know, it's like a take your medicine thing. Um, if you do look at things from that perspective, like the, the long-term benefit for your business is going to be a lot greater, but you need to kind of like re relearn the basics. Like how do you build a campaign or, or a program that really changes customer behavior? Um, and that's, you know, that's kind of like the, the decision that a lot of people are confronting at this point. No, I, I love, I love that. I totally agree too. Like, like that, that shift, you know, when we're talking about like what it was like and what happened and what it's like now, like, I feel like this new thing came about. Like the reason I got good at social ads, by the way, I was a supervisor at Omnicom. I didn't necessarily get along that well with my, I was not a office environment hire. I'll put it that way. Mm -hmm. I came in with like cowboy boots, band tees, torn up jeans, and like everybody else was in a suit and tie and I was managing a million dollars a day. And so they basically just gave me all of Facebook because they were like, nobody wants to do this. Nobody knows it. You just go off in a hole and do that thing. And as a result, I got to spend millions and millions and millions of dollars every week on Facebook ads and got to know all the people. And it was this great lift and this great opportunity. But, you know, what it was like was just basically porting over television and radio and print strategy into this digital world. And kind of leaning on what worked for email and, and, and search, but eventually like that just stopped working. The, like the last click and what I love about what you said was like the lift and the holdout test, like what seemed to happen. And I'm curious if you agree is that everybody leaned on this last click attribution or then everybody leaned on 28 day. And yeah. I can't tell you how many times I sat there with a the report knowing the data was absolute nonsense, but we were charging Levi's 50 million a month or whatever, uh, or a year, whatever it was. And like, we had to justify the reach and frequency spend. It took me 45 minutes to build, right? Or, or whatever it was. And, and so the tool around the agency to acquire more money, I think taught a lot of entrepreneurs to value the wrong thing. What do you think about that? Yeah, I, I think like if someone is behaving in a way that seems counterintuitive to you or that you don't understand, it's probably because you don't understand how they're being incentivized. And then 
when you do figure it out that there's like a great quote that's a little bit cynical and I forget who said it, but it's like, once you're able to explain why something is so, let you understand why it must be so. Uh, so there are, I mean, there are a lot of bad incentives. And if you, if you do have an understanding of, you know, last click versus holdout versus 28 day, and you, your, your motives aren't necessarily in the right place or you're not in an environment where you can, um, like a, you're not in a psychologically safe environment. You, there's just a lot of incentive to kind of skew the numbers, which is unfortunate. And, and honestly, like that's a lot of what my writing is about is, um, is reframing the, those perspectives and uh, helping people kind of defend themselves against that kind of stuff. Yeah, and that and the reason I brought it up is yeah, because you definitely come from that place of having knowing that information, right? And I think what's funny, you know, there's an old Yiddish saying like where it begins is where it ends. And it's funny, I started out in advertising working for big international conglomerate agencies. You know, I mean, I started out freelancing, but when I got fired, I finally got a real job. Uh, it was like big things doing television and all of this stuff. And they would justify television and radio and billboard spends by these massively elaborate lift studies and market research things. And then the Google or Facebook ad was like, well, we have a pixel. So we got six X done. Like the reporting took 30 seconds instead yeah. of like week long analysis of data. And now, you know, to say where it started is where we come back to and, and like kind of what had happened and where we are at now is that measuring the efficacy of any marketing effort has to be understanding what is the impact on everything and that treating social as though it were television or something like that. Like I had the luxury of having a boss who was the vice president of Guthy Ranker and she'd spend a million, a hundred million a year on television. And when I would go with her, to, when I would go and have conversations with her about Facebook pixel data, she'd get upset with me for lying to her and kick me out of her office. That happened for about four months until I figured out how the hell to do, to just to do lift analysis, holdout tests, you know, corollary reporting and truly understand stuff. And it was literally just so I get 15 minutes of my boss's attention. Um but I, I, I love that how full circle that it's come. And every time you talk about understanding more about the lift and the holdout and all of that, I, I'm curious, you know, what you think about what it's like now, what the skills are that people should really be focusing on instead of just Facebook ROAS or customer acquisition cost or any of those things. Because, I mean, you've written a lot of stuff and, and I really love like what direction you're going into what are the things that you find are most valuable for those skills that people should be knowing moving forward i mean i think it depends on what your is because when you're first starting out in the industry whether you're entry level or whether you're trying to reposition your career it's very it is very helpful to become um like a technical subject matter expert like knowing how to really work Clavio or knowing how to operate an ad account. And when you're first starting out, the unfortunate truth is that, you know, no one is paying you for your strategic expertise at that point. 
So I would say there, there's still a lot of validity in, in learning the technical basics, but it also does matter a lot who you're learning from. Like there are definitely still right and wrong ways to do things. Um, as, and, and then as you're thinking about progressing in your career, that's when it becomes helpful to understand. I think like a few, a few key skills are the, I guess, the, the scientific aspect of marketing. So like test design, um, understanding like what makes a good test, um, and also understanding the financials that underlie an e-commerce business. So the fact that you can, like retail is one of, uh, is a business where you can on the surface level appear to be doing so, so well and like driving crazy demand and having like proverbial lines out the door and then you're losing money every month. So like oh, understanding yeah. how that happens and how to avoid it is another skill that I think is really important. Yeah, and I, I think you're totally right. Like I, I definitely agree in a lot of that stuff. Like I always say, an old teacher taught me about the idea of specialization. When you're sick, let's say you had a heart attack, God forbid. Do you want to go to the neighborhood clinic or do you want to go to the best cardiologist in the state? Your opportunity is the same. Which one do you want to go to? Right? It's never, yeah, I want to go to, you know, Amy at the clinic. It's I want to go see Stephanie, the number one cardiologist in, in New York, in New York State. But you want to go to the best. Yeah. And that person makes way more money and doesn't necessarily work any harder. But they're also their skill set because it's so specialized. They're able to really deep dive into stuff. And I think I absolutely agree that initial basis of having institutional expertise is a game changer. I think, what do you think about this? I find that it is a big liability for people to be good, to try to be good at like four or five things. I think... I, I agree to a certain extent. It, it's like, I, I see the, I think I see career progression as like starting out, you hyper specialize in one thing, you become really valuable in one thing. Then you're like, okay, I'm kind of expanding into different skill sets because I at least want to, I want to know enough to, to not be ripped off or I want to know enough to kind of understand if what's going on is, is generally like, above board um, and then you move on to the more strategic stuff so like what ties it all together so I think like specialization at first or if you if you want to make a business out of you know a certain channel like if you want to start a Facebook agency then yeah like go really deep into Facebook um, but if you're if you want to own a brand one day or like be the head of DTC for a brand that's when you have to start thinking about going broader yeah yeah and, and in addition to that, the, like the idea of that specialization also gives you appreciation of higher level things. Like I got to the point of like director of growth or CMO in spots because the problems I had to solve to understand why I couldn't spend twice as much on Facebook taught me everything else. Like our daily budget's 5K. My question is, why isn't it 10? What's wrong? Mm -hmm. Oh, it's the conversion rate three steps down the line on our primary offer. And we've also got customer service feeding 12 other offers that are a complete waste of our bottom line time. So we don't have the margin to support a greater loss on the front end. Like 
no Facebook ad is going to fix that problem. That's not an ABO versus CBO conversation, right? That's not a cost cap versus dynamic ad. Like there's, that is a institutional decision, but I feel like really good marketers. And one of the reasons we're seeing this concept of fractional CMO really come about is because the people like you and I who have this great experience are able to solve those problems in a way that is built around one or two levels of extreme expertise and specialization, and then a career of experience in all of the ancillary skill sets. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I guess with that, I'm just wondering, like, how have you seen that play out for you as well and, and in your experience in, in the industry? Well, I think like the, the situation you just described where the marketer is has more of a broader strategic perspective and is able to identify, uh, you know, identify opportunities cross-functionally, which is a word I hate, but I can't think of a better uh, alternative for it. Yeah, I I hear you. (laughs) Um, That's like where the magic happens when all of these different, I mean, a lot of different things have to work together to make a business work. So when you're in in an environment where that enables that open dialogue. Um, that's kind of like where the magic happens and businesses can be really successful. So I think I, another thing that I say sometimes is that like a, an organization gets the marketing that it deserves. So if the culture of an organization is stay in your lane or, you know, if you fail, you're going to get smacked down publicly. Um, then that the kind of marketing that you're going to get is let's do the least to make ourselves kind of present ourselves as being successful, even if it, if it doesn't necessarily help the bottom line of the business. So I think like all of these principles and things are super important, but it's, it's only as effective as the organization is healthy to a certain extent. I love that. I totally, I mean, I don't know about your personal experience. It sounds like maybe you've been in a couple of these spots, but like I've absolutely been in the spot. Like I had a boss where literally the the guy lived in Vegas and the office was in El Segundo in California. And he would just fly in and we would fly in. Everybody gets super busy for like a hot minute just to to like to, to avoid him at all costs. Right. And it was this like this super toxic environment. And I think it stifles growth and opportunity. And I've also been in other places where anybody can raise their hand and anybody can say stuff. And I think that transparency with being accountable, but also some, you know, levity and and bandwidth, you know, an opportunity to fail uh, makes that's makes the best situations. I, I don't know about you, but probably one of the best places I ever worked. My boss would come in and say, I want a a $10,000 lesson. And we would literally sit down and by force of will waste 10 grand to learn something. And it was the best. It was the absolute best. I can't tell you how many bright ideas I see on Twitter threads. It's like, yeah, I've done a couple hundred thousand dollars trying to make that thing work over a few years. And and I can can tell you the future here. I've I've done this before. Um, But it, it sounds like, have you been in those situations that were that really toxic? And now maybe you've also been appreciative of that growth. Cause I feel like a lot of people want to rule with an iron fist and that's such a bad thing. Well, no one's ever thrown anything at me. So it's that's good. That, it's never been that toxic. I, 
that's kind of my benchmark in speaking with some of my friends. <laughs> but um, I, I think it's it's a little bit more nuanced. It's like it's very easy to be in a situation and and kind of like totally focus on like, oh, well, you know, I'm the marketing person or the marketing team. I'm basically being asked to do the impossible. Well, it's kind of, it's like your job to communicate why that's not possible or leave the situation. And that's kind of like at the end of the day, those are your two options. So I think the reason that my, the, the reason that I, I find so much value in my writing is because sometimes you, the numbers aren't enough to explain what's going on. Like, especially because when you get into some of these concepts about your, your customer file and people like flowing in and out and cohorts, it's like, that's hard to explain. And sometimes you need to explain it multiple to different times and in different ways. So I like being able to get to the place where I'm able to, you know, come up with like some cool metaphors that maybe help it break through for, for more people. I, I I love the metaphors too. I, I I I you you complimented me on one I made earlier this week where I was like your SEO is like your four hundred one k, right? Yeah, like, I love it's not going to make you money today, but if you don't do it, you're not going to be worth ten million tomorrow. Like it, it's that slow burn uh, thing, and everybody's like, I I I love it, and you've got a lot of them in, in your writing that that um, I love, like. There's stuff between like product and market and brand fit, like the difference between a brand and a product and a lot of those other things. I think I love when you can make the analogy because it makes people, it makes it so much easier to teach. Like when I'm in my Facebook ads MBA program and I'm teaching people what to do, I often tell them like, well, every, think of it as real world stuff. Like if your ad or your ad set, your campaign is a person. Or, uh, you know, that's an employee of your business. What are you going to invest in them, right? And you try to think these real world things because I feel like part of the reason this stuff, part of the reason that it is hard for people to grasp some of these higher level thinking pieces is because the nomenclature is new, right? And, mm -hmm. and really it's the same stuff, right? There's, there's no real big difference between running a D2C brand today versus like a, uh, like a uh, like a lemonade stand. The unit economics of business still function. There's a lot of different levers and fancy shiny objects, but um, I love how you put together the 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 analogies and those turns of phrase and the, and the metaphors. They're, they're so great. Uh, and it's one of the things that I really enjoy about reading what you have often because. I, I may or may not have stolen a few. I try to credit them when I, when I, when I can remember. I'll be honest. I'm about 85% accurate in, in, in those things. Um, so I, I'm curious, like, what are just some of the things that you're finding the most joy with these days in, in what you're doing, either with the newsletter or just in the business yourself? Just like we both exist in a spot where we can pick and choose the problems and the, and the, and the puzzles we want to solve. And mm -hmm. what do you have the most fun with these days? Oh, that's a hard question to answer. I mean, I think the the newsletter is and and Twitter and publishing has been incredibly, incredibly fun because that's like the fun creative space. Um, putting it into practice is more complicated and it's like it's more like doing a really hard workout 
then versus like sitting and finger painting where it's like sometimes you know it's going to be painful but if when you do you hit a PR or like you succeed in some way then it feels um really gratifying PR it feels like you go to the gym a few times that's that's a term a, a personal record I I I uh I love it I love it I, I see it a lot on Twitter. Like I actually, I'm not big into weightlifting, but I, I, that's like something I feel like you see every day on Twitter. That's funny. That's not in my world. I only know it because like of, of my, my wife owns a, a Pilates studio. So I see that kind of language all the time. Uh, but I know I love People it. People are trying to hit personal records in Pilates. <laughs> uh, I will say this, not so much with Pilates personal records, but because her sphere is all trainers and like physical health people, yeah. I hear that language, but I don't think you're supposed to hit personal records in Pilates. Like there's a Pilates studio literally right there uh, that she does privates in, like right, like it's, I can see the the reform, like it's literally right there. And, and she has yeah. her own studio outside of this and stuff. And um, so I hear the language all the time, but yeah, I think for Pilates, it's all about just continue it's, it's consistency and, and, uh, all of those fun things. I, I would much rather let her talk about that stuff. Pilates punks, by the way, P-U-N-X, if you're interested, uh, mm -hmm. she has a punk rock themed Pilates studio, um, instead of like dance music or house or whatever it's, you work out to like the misfits and the Melvins and, uh, you know, Megadeth. I don't know why I'm saying all M's, but that's what we're going with today. Oh, that's uh, really cool. Yeah, she's very passionate about it. It's what she does. And uh, it, it makes me really happy to, you know, we're both entrepreneurs. so We can share in a lot of that that stuff, which I think is mm -hmm. great. Um, so some of the stuff I just wanted to try to touch base on real quick is just I feel like we are through the looking glass a little bit or maybe almost with this like big sort of like apocalyptic event in, in advertising. I think we got one more shoe to drop, but with iOS 14, when it comes to tracking iOS 15 with email, and then what Google's going to drop later this year regarding cookies, I'm super curious and I'm trying to really collate some ideas from some of the you know, people that have been around the horn and done a few things. Um, what do you feel like the future for all of this is, is going to look like, like where, if you had to, you know, plant a flag in a couple of places or what are some things you're kind of moving away from? Like what is 2022 and beyond for D to C? What, what do you feel like it's going to look like? Well, I think the other shoe that is, we don't know if it's going to drop or not is, is the legal aspect or the, the regulatory aspect of digital advertising, because we've started to hear more and more rumblings from the government about, at least in the US, about, you know, the, the danger posed by targeted advertising and will, you know, should we ban all targeted advertising, which I think is like a very overly simplistic way of looking at things. But the fact that like the conversations are even happening means that it's a possibility or it's, it's something that's kind of, you at least have to consider. I, I don't, again, I don't agree with it. I don't agree that targeted advertising is all bad. And I think it's been like an incredible enabler of entrepreneurship, but um, that that's definitely, it, it's kind of like something to consider in the background. 
there, I, I think like Facebook and Instagram, you can still, you can still launch a brand using Facebook and Instagram ads. You just have to be very flexible about what it is you're doing. And you have to be very smart about like the P&L part of the P&L aspect behind it. Uh, TikTok, definitely a strong emerging channel. Um, but it, but it's like, you never know. It, it's like, ar they're all arbitrage opportunities. Like you never know, eventually they'll be competed away. You never know when that's going to happen. So it's like, get in while the getting's good, but then start thinking about how do you, how do you build a brand that's like strong enough to live outside of any one platform? I love that. Yeah. How do you build a brand that isn't relying on one source? How do you diversify? Right. And I feel that diversification came in when, when you and I started. It was like, well, you have Google and you have email. And mm -hmm. then you have everything else's weird stuff. Like, I remember when Facebook was weird stuff. I did. You ever see this show that used to come on before Mad Men? It was called The Pitch. Do you remember this show? No. Yeah, so it was this AMC had this reality show. And it was ad agencies competed to be the AOR of like a big company, the agency of record. Uh, oh, for, interesting. I, I, yeah, you and I know. Just so they had like two or three seasons. Um, fun fact, I was on the very last episode. They canceled it after they put me on the air. They were like, never again. We're never going to do this. Uh, but it was 1-800-Flowers. And their groundbreaking idea in 2014, I guess, was can you spend $100,000 on social? to drive business. And that was the like, no, nobody knows what to do. Like, like it didn't exist. There wasn't a, like, you had to prove the efficacy of it and make something happen. And mm -hmm. that was eight years ago. Like, yeah. I mean, that was the, the speed at which all of this stuff moves is, is so fast. And I guess I, I bring that up to say that like, we've seen such this life cycle occur where that was completely bizarre and then it became adopted and uh, <laughs> Barry, Barry's popping in, by the way, Barry, big fan of you, by the way, for what it's worth, Barry hot right here, Mr. Bing uh, of ranch water and, and other fam. Um, big, big fan of you. Uh, so, um, you know, I remember when Facebook was the, the ugly redheaded stepchild in the room. And the reason I got good at it was that I was the only one willing to work on it because I didn't give a damn. Like, I was just like, I've got work to do. I'll, I'll do that because I was entrepreneurial, right? And I didn't want to do the email and the Google. There was no fresh ground to cover, right? Mm -hmm. And I was always motivated by trying to innovate. And, uh, oh, thanks, Barry. Uh, and, Thank uh, you, Barry. <laughs> and uh, then it kind of got adopted. Now we see email, Google, and Facebook kind of being the cornerstone of everybody's marketing efforts. And then we saw, what was it? We saw Snapchat come and go. And I feel mm -hmm. like it's still a piece. I remember Pinterest was a big player. I was doing 50K, 100K a month on Pinterest for Disney and, and like laundry detergent brands and travel companies. And I feel like it's still there, but it's this like tangential player. And I yeah. bring all of that up because I agree in the, in the arbitrage, right? And the opportunity there. Um, fun fact on Pinterest. I, I brought the laundry detergent Persil uh, to the States. Mm -hmm. I did the brand launch in the United States for that. And I found out that Tide, 
apparently has a seven-figure daily budget to own all laundry terms on any search-based platform on the internet. Uh, like you can't even bid on laundry day without Ty just being willing to, to, to pay $100 for the click. Like, no, 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 you can't. It's like, it's like shelf space, right? If you wanna, yeah. if you want your, it's, so it's amazing. And the reason I bring all that up, not to get completely off topic, is TikTok. I have been through, around and back on my opinion of, of what that is really gonna bring to people. And I'll say with this, I'm really curious to hear what your thoughts are because at first I thought, okay, Snapchat version four, cool, got it. And then it worked and I was like, okay, so it's like story ads and right-hand rail. I remember that opportunity, sure. Anytime somebody's like, well, the CPMs are super cheap. I'm like, okay, I got it. We'll go blow some money, fine. But then it seems to be sticking around. And I don't know. I feel like there's this big trend of TikTok being adopted by a lot of people that are very well-educated, very successful in a way that I had, haven't seen other opportunities really getting taken advantage of in a long time. And I'm curious if you're on the bullish or bearish side of it, or you just kind of like, you haven't made a decision yet. It's, um, so I think what's really interesting about TikTok is if you really want to get zoom out on strategy, the, the incentives, behind, it's a Chinese company. So when you're thinking about the game that's being played, it's not the, the same game that's be, been played by Facebook and Snap and Google, where it's like a purely market-driven, uh, a purely market-driven game. Um, so I was actually talking, I forget who I was talking about this with, but the, the model for most of these social networks is like, you offer a lot of free traffic to drive adoption of, and usage from both creators and advertisers. And then when people are like locked into the platform and it's becoming really cr critical to their acquisition efforts, then you, you kind of like twist the screw and start extracting as much money as you possibly can. So like the question is, when is TikTok going to start doing that? Like people are obviously, ex they're experiencing like amazing organic reach, um, a lot more efficiency uh, in paid if they're able to kind of work it correctly. And, and the answer might be never because th that might not be the incentive of the app's owners. Like maybe they purely want to collect information on, on what people are doing and what they like. Maybe they're trying to drive Facebook and Google out of business. So like when if you're a brand owner, like now zooming all the way back in, these are the games that the, the advertisers are playing and you have to figure out like, how can I leverage this in a way where I'm not, you know, going all in, like, how can I get the benefit out of this in the moment, but not make it such a critical part of my operations that all of this kind of like geopolitical stuff is, is going to sink me. And that's where I think, evolving your brand beyond a single platform is, is so important and where some of this fundamental stuff really comes into play because it enables you to do that. Always <laughs> be suspicious. Always be suspicious. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I, 
I got to say, I have not heard that argument from 98% of people. And I 100% back it. And that ultimately what we're doing is we're trying to turn attention into profit as advertisers. Mm -hmm. And you have to remember the business objectives of your partners. Like Facebook's business objective is user time on site and on app. Like the number one business model for Facebook ads is keep people happy and on the platform. If you make ads people want to see, you're going to pay record low CPMs. Like people in my MBA program, they they were complaining during Black Friday in in December that like their jewelry CPMs went to like $12 and $15. Like they spiked 50%. And like, I get it. Like, I mean, domestic stuff, like the cost goes up. But because you're working, trying to make a really good action rate with people, that's feeding into the platform. TikTok's overall agenda, like we don't know it. And they could 100%, like if you look back to, and the reason I say this is, I feel like TikTok is 2016 Facebook. Mm-hmm. I feel like there's a very similar thing. And I remember 2016 Facebook. Like I was a couple of years in at that point. And if you take the Cambridge Analytica scandal, but you say, instead of that being a publicly traded company, it's the Chinese totalitarian government that doesn't give a damn about anybody. I could see them leaning into this as a loss leader for a generation. Like, and on the ad side of it, Facebook is supporting so many legacy efforts. Like the fact that you can still run so many different types of ads on Facebook that make no real bottom line for any advertiser is very interesting. Um, mm-hmm. But TikTok is basically like, if Facebook only let you run stories ads, only video and you only had traffic and conversion and lead that was it or or whatever right there's a couple other things but basically you only had this one specific thing my ear my ear pod these are new they don't fit very well i hear you i gotta constantly work them in i i do the same thing it happened i was on a call with uh i was on i was on a chat with in in the ddc coffee shop i think it was with uh raba and cody popker and my ear thing just fell i was like and then my dog nearly had to chase him around, whatever. And luckily, they were on a conversation, so it was beautiful. Um, but I love what you're bringing up here because ultimately, you have to understand the unit economics of your business, but also your vendors and your partners. And I think it is 100% in TikToks, not altruistic, but just what is their unfair advantage in the marketplace? Is that ultimately, they can afford substandard profit margins on their inventory in the ad space effectively in perpetuity because they're backed by not a VC. They're not a publicly traded company in the United States on NASDAQ, right? Like their unfair advantage is they don't need to play the game of capitalism to the same rules as anybody else does. And as long as their product is good, which I'll give it to them, like their use case, their actual product user experience is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. I don't see anybody having a chance to really play that same game against them, which means that if you can get good at understanding how to play the game that they want, I feel like you've got an unfair advantage for a long time. And the odd thing is, to go back to that Yiddish saying of you know where it begins, this is where it ends, 
the best ads that I grew up knowing were like, you know, the Coca-Cola commercial with the polar bears. And uh, like the my favorite print ad ever, I wasn't alive for it, but it was the OBB one of like the, the Beetle, where it's zero to 60. Yes, Volkswagen bug, right? Like really engaging, really fun, really memorable, creative. And TikTok basically brings us all the way back full circle to like, is this a good ad? And if you have a good ad, I don't think, like you need to be running an absolutely terrible business to fail if your advertising is good. And mm -hmm. I think TikTok gives you that unfair advantage where people are going to be able to, like in 2016 Facebook, produce opportunity before they get their business model together. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know what you think about that, but that's what I'm extracting out of what you're saying. And, and that's where my angle of all of that is. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I, I agree that um, from from like a cost perspective, it's, it's the platforms in a similar place. They're in the, they're not in the phase where it's like the, the platform itself is hyper optimizing for their own profit yet. I would like, I would just generally caution against um, becoming over invested in any one platform, like use it for, you know, get get what's good um while while things are still in the state like take advantage of it but um but the the fundamentals are important like i wouldn't i wouldn't launch a brand without a solid business model at least a hypothesis like the idea of like you know i think this product could be really cool i'm just gonna get a few prototypes made and like throw it up on on TikTok. That that might work in the short term, but it's like that's where you get into the situations. And and I I'm in the fashion industry, so I've I've been in a a lot of these situations where it's like the brand is hot, but the underlying financials are are not. And then like when the the music stops, you're like, oh my gosh! And it's you've gotten so big, it, it gets a lot harder to um, to to bring things back to a sustainable place. So like I would always say, no matter what's going on in the platform world, like fundamentals are important and you should try to get as close as you can um, before you're, you're launching. Uh, yeah, I totally agree with you. And I feel like there's gonna be the short money and the long money. And the number one bit of advice I can give to everybody is business model first and then figure out your unfair advantage and how your team works and your core competency and then just focus on exploiting that as much as possible. I don't know. Every business I know that I've taken from 1 million to 10 or from 8 to 50 follows a lot of that same principle. They don't try to be everything to everybody. They figure out the one or two things they need to. And you can absolutely be a $20 million brand that does three things well. One mm -hmm. thing well. You know, that, that, that's plenty, you know? I think every successful brand does between one and three things well. And that's really, that's all you have to do. You have to do it well enough that you, you kind of snowball over time. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I was on an interview with somebody yesterday and I, I literally said, you know, well, Jordan's has the Nike and it's really good. And I was like, Nike has the Jordans. That's what they do so well. Like it's so ingrained. I got it wrong. Right. Like, 
I, yeah. I just think it's beautiful. Well, look, I, I know I don't want to keep you forever. We've, we're coming up on, on two o'clock here. I really appreciate your time. I, I would, I would love to, you know, make sure that first off you hear me say this, thank you very much. I know you're busy. I'm busy too. And I really appreciate that we were able to make this work. And I'd love to talk with you on, on a DTC coffee shop with some other folks. Again, we need some nice, strong woman energy in there. It's a little bit of a boys club. So maybe you can help us fix that. And I would love to end with this. If I could leave the table to you to say anything that you want to, or to promote anything that you've got and let people know how to find you, just let me give you the last word other than me just saying, thank you so much for your time. Cause that's the most valuable asset that we have. And you've given mm -hmm. me almost an hour of yours and I'm really thankful for it. Thank you. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll give, a, I'll do a few plugs. Uh, my website is nobestpractices.co. Um, you can sign up for my newsletter there. There's a link in the footer. There's a pop-up, which I'm really trying to fix because it doesn't work very well. Um, but the newsletter goes out twice a month and it's content that I don't publish uh, on the blog for the most part. So it's like a real value add. And then um, you can, I always love to meet new people on Twitter and engage. My Twitter handle is hey, it's Alex. P as in Peter. I joined Twitter like more than 10 years ago before I got married. And then by the time I changed my last name, that handle was taken. So <laughs> there you have it. Mystery solved. There you go. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And um, yeah, I would love to have you on maybe with Barry or with Cody or with Ash or any of the other folks and, and really try to Bring in a slightly different energy and and maybe uh, set us boys straight a little bit on some things. And look, your time is valuable. I really appreciate it. Keep up the, the newsletter. And I'd love to do some stuff with you there, too. I, I, I keep trying to drop threads so good that either you or Rava uh, are like just take it and run. I, and, and that's a goal of mine. So I'm going to try to be good enough to inspire uh, an Alex P. No Best Practices article. We'll see how it goes. All right. I'll keep that in mind. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. Well, thank you very much. I'll talk to you later. I so much appreciate it. And uh, thank you again. That's all I got to say. Just thank you so much. Talk to you then. Yeah. Thank you. Bye. All right. Bye.